You're with SBS Radio. Find more great stories in your language at sbs.com.au. I'm Kerry Lee Harding. Thanks for your company on this Wednesday afternoon. Now we go to a conversation with NITV Radio's Batran Tukunami and he's speaking with Dr Jared Thomas on his new book release. It's called My Spare Heart. Dr Jared Thomas is an Akana person of the Southern Flinders Ranges in South Australia. He's a research fellow, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander Material Culture at the South Australian Museum and the University of South Australia. Dr. Thomas is also an award-winning author, writing mainly for young adults. Some of his titles include uh, Sweet Guy, Calypso Summer, Songs That Sound Like Blood, and a series on party meals. And we are catching up today to explore his latest book, My Spare Heart, a book that follows the story of 17-year-old Fabe. Before we dive into this book, welcome to NITV Radio. Thank you very much for uh, for having me this afternoon. Yeah, My Spare Heart is not uh, yet another book for young adults. It's a book that's so powerful, it dispels some myths and uh, misconceptions about uh, alcohol addiction. You know, I do write for young adults, but I think this uh, this book's relevant for, for many people. And as you said, it's, it's set in South Australia, and quite deliberately it's set in a wine region of South Australia. The book deals with Phoebe, the central character's um uh, the difficult that she, difficult tea that she's having in coming to understand her mum's drinking issues. For many of us, unfortunately, we we do have friends and family that are may have a problematic relationship with alcohol. So with this book, I really wanted to focus in on that. It's not so much an exploration of the life of an alcoholic, but the life of someone trying to make sense. In this case, their mother's. Uh, problematic relationship with alcohol. When dealing with alcohol addiction, uh, usually the, the focus is on uh, uh, the addict themselves, the impact on uh, that alcohol has on their life that uh, often ends in dramatic circumstances. But in uh, My Spare Heart, you depict the struggle that Fabe goes through as she's affected by her mom's alcohol addiction, while at the same time navigating two worlds, her Aboriginal and uh, non-Aboriginal heritage, and uh, the complex issues of um, alcoholism. You know, there's so, there's so many of us who are of uh, mixed heritage, and um, in this instance I wanted to show that, you know, that there's a lot of myths um, associated with Aboriginal people and drugs and alcohol. And I wanted to challenge them. So in this instance, it's Phoebe's mum, who's non-Aboriginal, who has the the problematic drinking. Um, So that was quite deliberate. And also I wanted to show that problems relating to alcohol are so widespread amongst our community and often a little bit invisible. And I think for young people, if they don't see see a person who's kind of in the gutter drunk, they have a hard time kind of understanding, you know, how, how alcohol functions in their life. Fabe battles her mom's alcoholism while at the same time she's dealing with the parental issues at an age also where she really needs the presence and support of her both parents. That's it. Like her mom's Bronwyn in the story, she's been, uh, you know, a high-functioning person. So she's quite a successful woman. We enter the story where 
the wheels are starting to fall off for her. And for Phoebe, um, seeing her parents having recently gone through a separation, she really needs both of her parents and that support to feel safe. But we enter that period in Phoebe's life where she certainly doesn't feel safe and she enters a state of, of anxiety and depression. So the things that used to come easy to her, everything just feels so hard. Phoebe acknowledges this and she wants some help. She wants to move out of that state of anxiety and depression. Yeah, this is um, an issue for many. Phoebe really needs support, but how do you cope when uh, the people you're supposed to lean on, your pillars of support are crumbling and have become completely unreliable? I think that's what I wanted to get. That is the heart of this story, that alcoholism has a tremendous impact on the people around the alcoholic. So the alcoholic is often oblivious that they have an issue. Um, that is that is part of the, the addiction. So, yeah, I really wanted to show that sense of um, confusion for, for a young person who's living with or associated with an alcoholic. And I believe, yeah, there's so many people, unfortunately, uh, universally that may have a friend or a family member or a community member that has an, has an addiction issue uh, that impacts on their, their interactions with that person and then also their, their personal safety. And what I mean by that, sometimes it's physical, but most often it's, it's emotional safety. And as you were saying, Fabe is navigating modern life family issues with uh, separation, uh, balancing emotional issues related to that, uh, her new livelihood in the new school. But most importantly, alcohol addiction is all around her as she's at that stage in her young life uh, when young people start uh, themselves experimenting with alcohol and other substances. But still, she comes out as a grounded person with her own coping mechanism as inadequate as uh, they may appear to be. She's 17, and um, so she's, yeah, she's starting, and she's in a new community, so it's a different type of peer pressure, and she wants to fit in. And, you know, she's a, she's a quite, uh, she has been a really confident character, so she loves basketball, um, she's very good at it, she's quite academic. Um, she's also really grounded in her culture, in her Aboriginal culture. So she has been quite a confident person. And then I guess it's she's trying to she's trying to deal with the the issue of her mum's drinking. So uh, is her father and her stepmother, and to a lesser degree her her grandmother and some of the friends around her are try, trying to support. I guess one of the reasons I wrote the book is. As adults, it's hard for us when we're faced with a challenge to know where to get help. Some of us might read something. Some of us might have fortune to see a good counsellor, a specialist to get assistance. So with Phoebe and her family, they don't really know where to start to get help. And they have a lot of ideas and theories, but none of those things are actually helping them to move forward. In the, in the book, I don't really resolve that issue. It's not like there's a magic wand that's waved and everything becomes completely better. But what we do see is Phoebe and her family get the right type of support to help them get through that moment um, on the road to recovery. 
And I know that sounds odd because it's not about the recovery of the alcoholic. It's about the recovery of the family member who is, who is living um, with the alcoholic. Yeah, you didn't quite close uh, the story. One feels that uh, the story could have ended in so many different ways. It is such a rich and multi-layered modern story that, in my view, is good for uh, a sequel. Are you planning for a sequel at all? I'm not, I'm not sure. At this stage, I'd say no. Um, but I think, you know, I think the book, hopefully the, the book does what I set out for it to do, which is to really help people understand, you know, the impact of drinking on family members and ways to kind of gain support. I also really wanted to show the importance of, of culture as a strength for young Aboriginal people to deal with a myriad of problems in their lives. And, you know, going back to that as well, um, how does Phoebe, how does Phoebe cope? One of the things is she, she loves basketball and it's her love of sport and participation and support, which is one of the things that helps her also to deal with those issues. Um, I think exercise just plays a, a huge role in dealing with uh, pressures, anxiety, depression, etc. Phoebe's character is so well developed. Uh, are you a dad of a teenage of a teenage girl yourself? Uh, just to be able to build such a true to life character. <laughs> yep, I've got. I have three daughters, three daughters, and yeah, you know, as a parent, see see my kids move through a whole range of things as is you know life that's what happens where we're met with different challenges and um yeah you know there's a lot of discussion amongst our family about um yeah keeping ourselves happy not only physically but but mentally so i guess yeah you know some of the things that i'm communicating through this book are are yeah they're things that i've seen my daughters have to contend with Uh, only a parent would have a good grasp of what teenagers really go through. You, you depict very, very well the way teenagers communicate through text messages and uh, their behaviors. All this shines through brilliantly from uh, the perspective of um, a teenager's parent. Yeah, I should, um, yeah, maybe my eldest daughter, Tilly, should get, get uh, receive some income for this book because, yeah, I have checked during the writing of I've checked in with her a lot and her friends and just talking about, you know, how, to, how does communication occur, what's kind of um, trendy within popular culture, etc., so that the book has a real relevance and a, and a reality to it. Yeah. Another issue you kind of uh, touch on in the book is about cultural safety because Faith is the only Aboriginal kid in her school and she experiences some quite an quite nasty aspects of uh, racism, especially coming from uh, one of her schoolmates. Yeah, look, uh, I think um, we've certainly moved a long way as a nation since I was, since I was a, a kid going to school, but unfortunately, racism is really still very prevalent. You know, I wanted to show how what is sometimes um, considered innocent Uh, comments are hurtful and the, and the impacts of, of those types of comments. So in part, this book is how, how comments made towards Phoebe, and she is the only Aboriginal kid in the school, um, how it can be hurtful and how it just compounds 
uh, the other things that are happening in her life. Yeah, if uh, we didn't know about uh, Phoebe's uh, Aboriginal heritage, well, she fits in very perfectly, just like any other kid. Uh, yeah, so she does. <laughs> she has, does have that nematodus in, in Matilda. I show you how that racism from Matilda is learnt, but also with Matilda, it's coming from. It's partly coming from her struggles as well. So, with Matilda, she's she's having to work really hard. Her her home life is pretty tough, and she takes that out uh, on on Phoebe. So Phoebe's just this kind of soft target for Matilda's um, aggression. Um, so yeah, just again, you know, like uh, unfortunately, there is a lot of bullying, racism that happens in our society, and uh, just wanted to depict these things within within this particular book. And that's why I can't help but call for a sequel because there's so many issues that you touch on that you could develop just as brilliantly in a follow-up book. Yeah, thank you. And I, I am writing another novel at the moment. I guess some of the yeah, lots of the issues that I touch on in my spare hearts, particularly around racism, will be the focus of this this next book. And now, why the title My Spare Heart? Where did this come from? <laughs> um, okay, I was actually, it, it was it was by fluke, actually. I was um, on a plane flying to the US and, um, or between Canada and the US, and I was listening to a Courtney Barnett song on the radio, and I thought that in one of the lyrics, she said, my spare heart. And I just thought, wow, that's a really interesting concept, um, having kind of like a backup heart, like a backup battery. And uh, in relation to dealing with a loved one that has a an addiction problem, because it is a mental health issue in most cases, um, and it's very complex, and you need to have a lot of compassion for that person who is... Who is um, is experience the issue so for me it was about phoebe the character at times having to rely on her spare heart um to maintain a good relationship with her mum right here on nitv radio that was dr jared thomas and in conversation there with nitv radio's batran tuganami and dr jared thomas was talking about his new book it's called my spare heart i'm Kerry lee harding thanks for your company on this wednesday afternoon now for the second year in a row six indigenous trams they're rolling out right across melbourne over the next month for commuters and passers-by so that they can see this amazing fleet of moving artworks wind their way across the city in what is basically a mobile exhibition of black excellence through art. There are six First Peoples presenting artists, including Lynn Onis, the late Lynn Onis, Yorta Yorta Man. And the tram design is a recreation of Lynn Onis's 1991 art tram. Originally created by the artist and painted on the tram by Lynn, assisted by his son Tiriki, not far from the Aboriginal Advancement League uh, here in Melbourne in Thornbury in the northern suburbs. And NITV Radio's Bertrand Tuganami caught up with his son and my brother Tiriki Onis for a yarn. I'm joined on NITV Radio by uh, academic, performer and artist uh, Tiriki Onus joining us as uh, Rising is Back with a set of six fast people's designed 
drums set to roll out across uh, NAM. NAM is the Aboriginal name for Melbourne. Welcome to NITV Radio, Tiriki. Thank you so very much. It's an honour to be here. Now, the 2022 edition uh, is the second instalment of Rising. The rollout of trams across Nam with uh, spectacular artworks by Aboriginal artists. But this year's Rising is a special one as it features artwork that celebrates your late father's uh, work, Lynn Honest. That's right. It's been a, a long story in many ways, this one for us. We've, we have revisited and revived and and regenerated for for this generation a a tram design that my father did what 31 years ago now 1991 it was and when um, when i was contacted by uh, by jara steel from uh, from rising there was this this question of well I've heard that Lynn's tram still exists. It's apparently it's held down at the Newport tram yards. Do you think we could we could revive that? And what an incredible joy and, and honour it was to be able to, to bring that work back and and this morning to see it back on the tracks once more in um, in a whole new in a whole new brand new uh, fancy latest generation tram to to once again be tearing up and down the uh, the tracks and, and Route 109 out to Box Hill and, and down to South Melbourne. Uh, this is one of the trams that people will be actually admiring as they travel across uh, the network. And this mm. is uh, just not artwork, it's also a celebration of connection to country, culture and mm-hmm. identity. Absolutely, absolutely. There's so much of Lynn's work, my father Lynn's work was about this very thing it was about trying to to create a space to celebrate all aspects of his identity yes and he he like me was a a yori order and jajawarang artist but in so many ways it wasn't enough for him just to tell that story he wanted to be able to celebrate the tremendous work that others in his family had done the fact that my grandmother was an extraordinary woman in her own right had come to Australia from Glasgow in Scotland, was herself an, an activist and an artist and a maker. And a lot of my father's work, in fact, all of my father's work, dealt in many ways with reconciling these different parts of his identity, not content to, to just embrace one or the other. He sought to create an artistic style that brought together all the best from both of these backgrounds and became quite well known for his, his combination of traditional Aboriginal design and I suppose more Western realist art practices if you will and you see that very much uh, on this tram now. Yeah and the theme this year it's something that uh, strikes me the theme is unapologetically black and mm. we've got the theme of uh, reconciliation work be brave make change both themes seem to blend into one another or they're just the same thing well i think they are in some ways the same thing i think it's there's something lovely about where they both come from this idea of of being unapologetically black and that, that, that's something that certainly was instilled in in me by Lynn and I know that he got from his own father, Bill. It's essentially, I mean, this week is, is quite a full-on week for me. Not only have we had the, the launch of Lynn's tram that, that 
uh, on the 26th, we also um, have a general release launch of a film that I just made about my grandfather, Bill, called The Blaze. And in each of these works, I think one of the things that come is brought home to me again and again is this necessity to be uncompromising, and certainly unapologetic, but uncompromising in one's pride and one's expectation for better and a desire to do more. And I think that's very much at the heart of the reconciliation uh, slogan as well, that we have to be brave and we can affect change ourselves, that we see that again and again. And if it's not for those generations before us that have stood up and have refused to to see the world in the shape that it is and, and have have always dared to dream for better, we wouldn't be where we are now, but there's so much we can do in the space still yeah. in an ongoing fashion. And that's that's very exciting for me. And now to, to see that back on the tracks and to see other people who will have different relationships with Lynn's work or make their own suppositions as to his, his various motives and ideas, that's very exciting because I think this isn't just a story that belongs to me or my family or my kids. Rather, it's it's a wonderful point of access for all of us. Black, white, brindle, whatever our cultural background is, we can take pride in these stories and we can find safe ways for us to tell them again, to celebrate them, to amplify them and to contribute to a vision for what we can be like in society rather than necessarily what may have been expected of us in the past. And besides the work of your father, Lynn Honest, there's also Louise Moore, Patricia mm-hmm. McCain, uh, Dr. Paula Bala, Tegan mm-hmm. Murdoch, and Darcy McConnell, uh, all artists who actually unapologetically, who, whose artwork is unapologetically black, but also mm-hmm. artwork that challenges people's uh, preconceptions of what is Aboriginal art. Yes, yes. And I think that's incredibly strong. It's certainly something I took great strength from. It was lovely seeing all of the artists at the launch of, of Lynn's Tram this morning. I can't wait to see what they all contribute. I, I follow the, all of their work closely. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan. And to see the way that our communities now continue to to reject the, the stereotypes and... And the boundaries that are sometimes placed around us as First Nations peoples, but to use their voice and their art to continually challenge and provoke and get us to think of of how we can do more and be more is incredibly inspiring and exciting and and the sort of stuff that I want my kids to see as they grow up. This is the stuff that's going to make them strong. This is the stuff that's going to help them take that authority within themselves to define their own identities and, and not to be content with one that has been handed to them. Can you tell us a little bit more about the artwork of uh, Lynn, Lynn's artwork? Because it says here that it's referencing cultural markings symbolic of country and first peoples and uh, there are cycles and triangles there and there are opposites that are represented in this artwork. Absolutely. See, a lot of this comes as well from much of but the cultural heritage that both Lynn and I enjoy uh, from our extended Murugu and Jinang family, from right up in the top end of Australia, a little outstation called Garmadi, outside uh, Mangreen and Ramanginning. And it was there that my old adopted grandfather, Wamut, took 
Lynn and I over his his wing was so moved by the stories of how much had been taken from us down here in the south that he wanted to give what he, we, what he had back to us. So the two of us were were educated in in these stories and were given stories that we could paint. And intrinsic to Lynn's style was the blending of these stories with that with that more kind of Western realist style that he'd, he'd started with before that. And on the tram, you see that it has the two moieties, the two doer and literature, the two halves of, of everything personified in the black and white cockatoos, everything held in balance. Doer being the black cockatoo, literature, the white cockatoo. But, you know, doer is also the morning star, literature, the evening star, day and night, black and white, held in, in this space that one can't exist without the other. And beneath them, traditional designs that have come from here in the southeast that very much connect to country and place here to narratives of of Kulin country and from our identity as Yorta Yorta and Jajawarang people that Lynn brought in. And I suppose in many aspects it is a physical personification of Lynn and his search for identity and balance always in his work. And I hope and I believe that it does speak to many of us as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, how we find that balance in ourselves, how we, how we live between these different worlds and indeed how we can have conversations based in strength about all that our families and our communities have done to get us here, uh, as opposed to the, to the somewhat deficit-based and short-sighted narratives that perhaps governments and others would uh, would like to see us through. Yeah, and you just mentioned conversations, which is uh, something that these artworks will be sparking. And uh, they feature actually something that we see every day, but uh, they feature QR codes that enable uh, travellers to find out more about the artists and uh, their respective works. Absolutely. This is the beautiful thing. The beautiful thing that I think, you know, Lynn would, or I never knew about, he passed away in 1996, that always, you know, he and I and others have been very passionate about embracing emerging technologies and being able to bring information to people. And I think Aboriginal artists have done this, particularly in these sorts of spaces for, for many, many decades now where we've brought our art to the world, where we've tried to tell stories of us and get people to embrace those stories. Because once they start hanging it on, on their wall and once there's some value in it there, it's only a short step into people's hearts and minds. But now to be able to immerse yourself in these stories through a QR code, to be able to, to go down that rabbit hole, if you will, and find the richness of story and history and identity that's there, that's very, very exciting to me. And I'm, I'm just really pleased that we're able to hopefully bring Lynn and his work to a whole new audience that may not have known it before. Yeah, and they'll be on display. Well, they'll be rolling up. Uh, they'll be mm. actually crisscrossing the city within the next uh, 12 months. Now, That's right. anything you'd like to add before I let you go? Just to uh, to say, you know, look out for them. There is Lynn's tram, but there are trams by numerous other incredible First Nations artists who are part of this project as well. I feel incredibly honoured that our family story is standing on the same platform as theirs and that I hope 
that we can all use this as as a bit of an impetus to start asking more questions and having more conversations because these stories don't belong to just one of us. They belong here to place and to country and I think we have a tremendous opportunity to be able to tell those stories again and again and again and make sure that, that we don't miss out, that our kids and our grandkids and others can keep telling these stories as well. It's, it's, it's a lovely way to do it through a tram and it's a lovely way of sparking a conversation that we can keep having forever into the future. Kiriki Onus, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. It's been a great pleasure for me too. Thank you so much. You've been listening to NITV Radio with me, your host today. I'm Kerry Lee Howding. Thank you so much for your company and thank you to our guests today for joining us, Dr. Jared Thomas and the brother, Turiki Onus. Many thanks to both of them for coming and having a yarn with us right here on NITV Radio. Well, time for me to get on out of here for today, but I'll see you again. And you can listen to NITV Radio on your wireless 1pm on this coming Friday. We're on air every Monday, Wednesday and Friday at 1pm. Want to hear more stories like this? Listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from.